You know, I'm sure many of you wish you could have been here. Something kept you from coming. We welcome you online, and we welcome those of you who are in person as we launch this series. Has anyone, and my ankle still bother me, so I'm going to be seated here. Um, we'll see how long that goes. I can't stay seated when I'm speaking, but we'll try. Anyone ever asked you, or maybe you've asked someone else this question, if you could live in any time period of human history, what would that be? Has, have you either asked that to someone or had that asked to you? Okay? At least half of you. If you did online, jump in. Just say if you have or not. I've asked that and had it asked to me, and I've always thought about the answers. And people choose all, all different kinds of answers, and there's really no right answer or wrong answer. It's just a matter of personal preference. Uh, some people choose based on history, based on who they could have met, based on the economy. Some choose based on the car that was made that year. I mean, like, it's, it's all different. Um, and so I do submit to you an idea, though. I was thinking about this when I was recently reading Genesis, and I was thinking... Imagine living in a time where God created everything absolutely perfect. There was no sin, no fallen humanity, and you could just walk and talk with God in a perfect environment that was created just for you. Man, I'm imagining the time of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of human history. You see... God started off creating the entire world just as he desired. You know, if we were to do a, a series on Revelation, end times, the way things end up, we'd probably have a lot more people here tonight. Because people like want to know the, the end times stuff and the prophecy and the end of the world. And that's intriguing to me, to people. But you know, you know what I find intriguing is Instead of just viewing the end, let's go back to the way he actually started things. Because if he started it that way before sin, I think that was a pretty good plan. So I want to go back and say, well, where did he start things? How did things look when he started it? Because he made the solar system in, in just the way he wanted it. He made the oceans just the way he wanted them. He made humanity just the way he wanted it. He created marriage just the way he wanted it. And, and as I read Genesis, I thought... Wow, I want to do this series on the beginning because the Bible records God as saying, I'm the Lord, I change not. And another place it says, he says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he viewed the world, uh, this, is, this is God creating a perfect environment. Let's go back and look at what exactly did he do. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in saying day two, he created this, day three, he created this. You can read that for yourself, but I just... There's some interesting points I want to bring out over the next four weeks. This is going to be a four-week series. And uh, so what was his original plan before sin messed things up? And we're going to look at some scripture. So in the beginning, this is week number one. Let's pray. Jesus, God, thank you so much for your word. Oh, God, even though I love all these people and I love getting together with them, it, it makes it a lot better when we can look at something divinely inspired that can correct, rebuke, instruct, uh, encourage, challenge, change, and guide us, God, like your word. And so let your word come to life for everyone, me, everyone here listening, everyone watching online or listening on a podcast, God. Do what you want to do and speak to us in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. 
So let's begin by looking at Genesis. Where did it come from? Genesis is the book of beginnings, okay? We have the beginning of, of sin, the beginning of the human race. We have the beginning of creation, the beginning of even passing the buck and blaming someone else's for your faults and failures, okay? It's the book of beginnings, the book of beginning of Israel, the, book of, uh, the beginning of the promise, covenant. It all starts in Genesis, this book of beginnings. Well, it's not an eyewitness account, though, so let's just deal with that right off the bat. Moses is the one that's given credit pretty much widespread by scholars, that he wrote the Pentateuch, which just means five books. So the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so Moses, he wasn't there though. I mean, like Genesis was written like 400, Israel had already been slaves to Egypt for 400 years by the time Moses wrote this. And so he was not present. So they had been recently released from bondage, and they're going through the desert toward, their, toward the Lord in Mount Sinai. And that's where God established his covenant relationship, gave Moses his law. And Israel was now poised to enter the promised land and receive the inheritance that God promised Abraham. But look what Scripture in the New Testament says about Moses. In, Mo, in Acts chapter 7, 22, it says, Moses was taught... All the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. So this guy, Egypt was the superpower of that day, the world, world's greatest power. And, and Moses, you know, looks pretty, pretty bleak in the beginning. Pharaoh's killing babies, and, and, and Moses' sister Miriam pushes him down the Red Sea, and, and, he, and Pharaoh's daughter finds, oh, wow, there's a baby crying. Oh, it's one of the Hebrews' children. Well, don't say anything. I'm going to raise him like my own. And Miriam shows up. Do you want any, me to find someone to help you raise him? And she says, yes. Pharaoh's daughter says, go find someone. Miriam is his sister, goes, gets her mom. Has a, Moses' own mother gets paid to raise the baby. I mean, incredible story. But God has a plan, because I know for us, if we're going through that, where are you, God? What are you doing? What's going on? But God was setting Moses up to not only free the, the Israelites from Egypt, but he, it was much more than that. God was setting Moses up to be groomed and intelligent enough and, and taught and educated enough to read, write, speak, and be able to gather all of the years of information to compile this written word that we still read, research, and study to this day. It's incredible, really, when you look at it. And so Moses was taught in all the, all the greatest education that the world had at the time. Moses was taught that, and I believe it wasn't just to lead Israel out of Egypt. It was to write and pen these first five books of the Bible. In all probability, Abraham brought the primeval uh, accounts of the family genealogies from Mesopotamia when he left there. Stories were probably added by families later. Jewish people to this day are so strong on oral tradition. So it was probably a mixture of written tradition and oral tradition. And before Moses even, uh, Joseph was, was raised. Jacob's son was raised in Egypt. And even him, he, he could have easily preserved all the traditions, both written and oral, because he would have also received that Egyptian education. And so God, even in hardships, even in trials, even when it looks like, what are you doing, God? God had this amazing plan that set us up to have the word that we have today because of some of the things they went through, people like Joseph and Moses. And so Moses then could have compiled the work substantially in their present form while adding his editorial comments along the way. 
God called Moses to do this incredible job of writing the Pentateuch, which again means five books, since he worked under God's inspiration and guidance, and the narratives came from God. And so just to understand a little bit about how we even got this book, as we study this book of beginnings, I have what I call a creation principle, right? So there's certain things in your house, like your kids would never come home and be like, well... I thought I could drink out of the milk carton. And you're like, what makes you think that? The last time you tried that, I knocked you on the head. Like, you ain't drinking on the milk carton. Or, you know, they say, well, I'm going out and playing in the street. And you're like, are you kidding me? You know you can't play in the street. That's a creation principle. Since you were created, you knew that, that you wouldn't do that. So when I say this, meaning if God creates something a certain way, and he says, and he, he creates something, and he says, it is good then we know we have a creation principle, something there that I don't have to say, well, I wonder if God changed. Well, we already, we already know he doesn't. He changes not. And, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he made marriage a certain way, he's not going to change just because cultures change. So there, there, there's creation principles that we go by that still stand to this day just based on reading the book of Genesis. And so uh, God created things how he wanted them, and everything was perfect, and it still is, but sin messed that up. And so creation is, is the process by which God brings things into existence. Science is the knowledge of God's creation, as imperfect as it may be. But look at science defined. The intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. Now, leave that up. Based on that, science is based on observation and experiment. So, people that say evolution's the way to go, you creationists, you just put your faith in la-la land. Science, by definition, requires observation and experiment. Nobody, no one, we have no eyewitnesses that we can interview. No one was there to see God create everything. It was angels in him. So guess what that means? Every human being, everywhere, has to choose to put your faith in something. You're going to put your faith in science? You're going to put your faith in the Bible? Because no one was there. I can't say, well, guys, if you just listen to me, I will prove to you that God created the world. I think we have a lot of proof, even scientifically, about what God did. But I cannot prove to you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God created the world. I look at this, and I see this account of the way it's spelled out, and I say that, and even science somewhat does back that in many ways. I say that makes sense. I believe that. Now I know that you can say that billions of years ago, there was an explosion. Everything landed in the right place. We evolved from apes. And I go, ah, that's actually tougher to believe for me than, than God said and it happened. And so science, by its very nature and definition, does not claim to know perfectly the workings of God's universe. It's the study of our world through observation and experience. And I believe in science, I want you to know. But I believe in the science that says, science says, I acknowledge that there's an intelligent designer, a divine creator. Now let's research what he's given us. That's where I stand. 
So I'm not, I don't want you to leave saying he doesn't believe in science. I absolutely believe in science. I just don't believe in what they're saying is our origin. And so Genesis begins with a simple statement. And if you can believe this verse, everything else, God healed blind eyes, the lame walked, the dead rose, he parted the Red Sea, he's going to come again, he's going to fill you with his spirit, the evidence of speaking other tongues, like all these things, there's nothing. This right here is the hardest verse to believe in the entire Bible. If you can believe this, the rest is easy. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's easy after that. If you believe that, it's simple. The Bible never once argues for the existence of God. You're not going to find arguments between people. Well, yeah, no, yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Well, let me prove it to you. You don't, you don't, you don't find that. God does not come, and, and when you read other ancient Near East literature pieces, other ancient cultures, Akkadian culture, they, they had creation stories, and some of them mimicked a little bit this biblical story. But you would read crazy stories about gods fighting one another and, and, and striking humans down for waking them up from a nap, and, and one like tricking someone and eating the heart of another god. Like I'm telling you, this is legit ancient civilization writing. And then you read this, and they try to down these other gods, how they defeated them in a battle, how they tricked them, and, and all this. God, he literally doesn't deal with any other gods. He's just like, in the beginning, I spoke, and it happened. I don't need to try and down anybody else because it doesn't matter. I was there. I spoke. I have all power, and this is the way it went down. And so, in the beginning, God, from there it proceeds to go how everything fell in place. This is probably the first, because Wednesday nights, we call it principles for life. And so, I don't want to just tell you Bible stories and give you historical facts or even theological facts. I want you to say, okay, what's in this for me? What can I get out of this? Well, I think we can get something right off the bat here. Everything starts with God. And then everything else falls in line behind it. In the beginning, God. That's the way the Bible starts. In the beginning, God. Yes, but then we read tales of, of, of Egyptian armies, and we read about plagues, and we read about enemies, and we read about sin, and we read about restoration, and we read about faults and failures, and we read about... Listen, in the beginning, God. Everything starts with God. But then look at how it ends, Revelation twenty two twenty one, the last passage of the Bible. So I just read you the first. It starts with, in the beginning, God. The last says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. Guess what? The Bible starts and ends with God. Everything in between, there is journeys, there's ups and downs and failures and faults and animals and bloodshed and arcs and, and circumcision and covenants and spirit outpourings and martyrs and there's all crucifixion. There's all kinds of stuff. But the book can shed light for us. In the beginning, God. At the end, God. I'm having a hard time being seated right now. So somebody clap with me so it just gets me, you know, let me know you're here. And that is what we can go by. In the beginning, God. At the end, God. No doubt you're going through things right now. 
No doubt you have things in your life and mind and heart and situation. You're, maybe it's marriage, finance, health, whatever it is. You're going through some stuff right now. In the beginning, God. At the end, God. Just know that if you remain faithful to him, he's remaining faithful to you. And, and you start with God, you end with God, and he's got control of all the things in between. And so this is why God says in Revelation twenty two thirteen, 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the ending. There's people that have gone through some stuff, but no one in the world, in the spiritual world, in the physical world can say, I was there at the very beginning. I was there at the very ending. He was the only one that spoke things into existence. He's the only one that knows what eternity has and when eternity begins. And so that's why he says, the God of creation, don't worry, I'm, yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through, but this is what I got. But this is, and, and our situations are real. I'm making making fun of you because I do the same thing sometimes. You don't know, I got this, I got this. I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I'm frustrated, I'm scared. And God goes, just a reminder, Alpha and Omega, that's the first and last elf, uh, elf letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm everything from A to Z, as we would say in English. Everything from Alpha to Omega in Greek. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the ending. I'm the first and the last. So guess what? If I was there at the beginning, and I'm going to be at the end, the end, I didn't disappear through the middle. So whatever you have, just sit tight. I got this. But, but, but they're killing the Hebrew babies, and they're, and they're sending me down the river, and I'm raised in a foreign land, and I don't even know what's going on. I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. I'm actually setting you up to be a deliverer. But it's going to be a good 80 years before you get there. But if you trust me, I'm the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending. And I'm not only going to use you to deliver my people. But I'm actually not just talking about Israel now. I'm going to use you to deliver my people. What does that mean? Because he delivered the Israelites in the Old Testament. But he wrote down five different books that are still delivering people in 2021. As we see principles that Moses was learned in all the words and deeds of Egypt. And God was setting him in the midst of trial God was setting him up to bless the world for thousands of years. Just know, you're going through stuff. But he's the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the ending. He was always there. He will always be there. And he's going to be there when it's all ending. The creation account in Genesis is foundational to the entire message of the Bible. Not just Genesis or the Pentateuch. Understanding these early chapters of Genesis, because really all we're going to do is look at about four chapters. That's it. We're not going deep. We're not going through the whole book. There is an absolute theme, not only of God, but also for his people. Genesis 1-1 reveals something about God. Look back at it. I know we already read it. In, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, that's translated, transliterated into English. But the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. Hebrew with a couple of passages of Aramaic. That was the conversational language, but the written language was Hebrew. So what is the Hebrew word for God here? It was a word called Elohim. El meant God, but Elohim 
was a word for God that they used. The name emphasizes grand supremacy. Now, what is interesting about the word Elohim is it's a plural noun. It's a plural word. And that's where some people to this day will say, see, we serve a triune God or a God that is in three co-eternal, co-equal, co-eternal parts. And so they, and sometimes their argument is based on the fact that that Elohim is a plural, plural, plural word. But I would argue that the attributes of God are so many and so great that the reason they chose a plural word is because no singular noun would do God justice. And so you can just say he's that, like he's so many things, not in person, but in attributes. And honestly, this isn't crazy because when you speak, you say, hey, look, there goes a sheep. There goes a fish, right? You don't say sheep, sheepies or fishies. Some kids do. Some adults do too, probably, but... A fish is one fish, multiple fish. Sheep, sheep, one sheep, multiple sheep. So we understand kind of this plural usage even in singular. But the kicker here is that verbs, when you go through the Bible, Elohim is always used with a singular verb. So now if you don't like English, you're just like, dude, what in the world is he saying? Move on, let's get going. <laughs> but if you're an English person, you understand how deep that is. That singular, the, the plural noun is always used with singular verbs, which points, it, that fact reflects to the consistent scriptural proclamation of a single Savior who is one Lord, one God. He's not co-equal, he's not co-eternal, co-substantial. We do not have a pre-existent son that was there at creation. God took on flesh when he went into the womb of Mary and Jesus Christ, the human being's life started right there, but that was simply God manifest in flesh. And so, Genesis 1-4, you move on, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from darkness. And this is where this gets fun for the rest of our time. Light is the opposite of darkness. Right? In this passage, we see that, what did he say? God saw that the light was good. He separated the light from darkness. In Scripture, God identifies the light as being good. He never identifies the dark as being good. Isn't this interesting? I mean, is it, how many kids do you know that go, Mommy, please come upstairs. I'm afraid of the light. Think about it. Light is good. Unless you're working third shift and trying to sleep, right? Any third shift workers? Got a few? Yes. They're like, yes. God says the light is good. The dark, he didn't say that. Throughout scripture, we see multiple passages that insinuate light. It associates light with typology, a representation, a foreshadowing. It says light is life, blessing, good. It takes boundary. It sets a boundary to darkness that says you can only come from this. It overtakes darkness. Then we see scriptures that with darkness that often typify terror and death and evil. To this day. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But to this day, I didn't run, I didn't run the, 
strip joint, club scene, and all that. But to this day, my understanding is clubs, dance halls, bars, all that, they're not really lit up real bright. Why is that? Hmm. My dad used to aggravate the fire out of me sometimes. Remember this, Mom? I'd be eating. I'd be, I'm trying to wake up before school, and I'm eating cereal, and I'm in the dark. My dad would, man, he was a morning person. He'd come in and go, it's not good for a man to dwell in darkness and flip on all the lights. <laughs> I'm like, rebuke not an elder, rebuke not an elder. From the beginning of time, God decided that there would be a, a separation, a distinction. Everybody see this? A separation, a distinction between light and dark. There, this is a creation principle, the way he created it. I want it to be distinct, light and dark. That's the way he created it. And this continues throughout the Bible. Because even creation speaks of a creator. The sunrise, the sunset, these things speak to an intelligent design, not just to argue evolution and creationism, but it points to, just as I, we finished that series recently about the human body pointing to God's plan for our lives, even creation points to God's plan for our lives, the world, and, our, and the church. Look at the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 6.16. Paul writes and says, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? He says, you're the temple of the living God. When you're filled with God's spirit, we are now the temple. And like the Old Testament, a temple was a building. It was a, it was a tent. Now he says, no, when I fill you with my spirit in the New Testament, you're the temple. And what agreement has a temple of God? You're the temple with idols. He says, I will dwell in them, walk in them. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. So what does he say in verse 17? He says, wherefore, because of that, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, he is calling his church, people who he has filled with his spirit, and said, I now reside in you. I'm calling you out. When I say call you out, separation, uh, uh, distinction, all that, it, it does not mean never talk to a person in the world again. That's crazy. We're supposed to be light in the world. But in lifestyle, in choices, and the way we live, we should, people should say there's something different about them. There's something strange, different, odd. Now, that doesn't have to be odd or, or crazy, but that odd meaning you're just not exactly like me, that I should see something or feel something that's just a little bit different. In the New Testament Greek for the word ecclesia, which means church, that's translated into church, is to summon forth, to show the church as a called out or separated assembly. The very essence, the meaning of church is to be called out and different. It's the meaning of who you are. So we say, well, I'm going to church. What does that mean? I'm going to a building that was separated for a specific purpose. That's not what church is. We're not just coming to a building. Yes, certainly this building was built with a purpose in mind, like tonight, like Sunday, like uh, prayer meetings, that the people's lives will be touched, impacted, changed forever. That's what this building was built for. But the church building is not what the church is. You're the church, so you're supposed to be called out, and I'm supposed to be called out and separated and sanctified, a separated assembly. The church has not called this in a restricted sense, but rather out as of, I've called you out of darkness into my light. 
Peter writes this, 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth his. How do you show forth praise to someone? Yes, but God looks on the heart. You are right, but the people that live next door and work with you do not. So I need to show them what God's done in my life. Well, how do I do that? It is God working from the inside of me to the outside of me. My life and everything that I am, it's not like a church person, a work person, a dad person, a sports person. Like, no, it's all one. It encompasses everything. If you hurt your ankle playing basketball, it follows you to church. All-encompassing. And so he says, I've called you. It never's changed. Remember when I created the world and I separated light and darkness? Guess what, church? I came to reside in you and I still want light and darkness separated. Man. Some people say, well, separation and holiness, that's old-fashioned. And I would say, you know what? 100% agree with you. Absolutely. Totally, absolutely agree with you. It's actually ancient. It's actually ancient. It started in the first chapter of Genesis. He separated light from darkness. He separated water from land. He separated different animals. He separated the sun, moon, and stars. He made man and women separate as distinct, different beings. I could do a whole series just on separation. But I won't. But I do want you to see a few more passages of his plan. Leviticus 18.1. It never changed. We read in the beginning. We read in the New Testament. Look at some of these Old Testament passages. Then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I'm the Lord your God. So don't act like the people in Egypt. Why? Because when you spend 430 years in a place, there's no doubt that a little bit of Egypt got into God's people. My dad always used to say, you hang around dogs, you get fleas. So 430 years in Egypt, you start to kind of eat the way they do, dress the way they do, talk the way they do, maybe pick up the accent. I go back to Wisconsin, people say I sound like I'm from the south. I don't hear that. I don't understand that. But then when I go back to Wisconsin, I come back and they say, oh, no, you sound like you're from the north. I don't fit it anywhere. <laughs> Thank you. He says, don't act like Egypt. I'm delivering you from Egypt. You lived there for 430 years, but I have an expectation of you that you're not going to act, dress, talk, think, carry yourselves like them. I don't care how long you've been there. I don't care how long you've lived in the world and how many bad things and places you've gone. When I put my spirit inside you and you become my temple, I expect you, I expect you to be different. I'm calling you to be separate. And he says, where, where you used to live and act. And Leviticus 20 and 7, he says, so set yourselves apart to be holy. That's interesting because sometimes we just say, God hasn't given me a conviction yet. Does that scripture say that God does all the separation or does it say that sometimes we have to set ourselves apart? Saying, you know what? There's some choices I want to make because I don't want to be like everybody else in the world. 
God's done some great things in my life. He saved me from some incredible, he, he forgave my sins. He washed away my sins in the water baptism. He filled me with his spirit. I feel hope and strength. My marriage is doing better than it's ever done. I, I, I'm serving in ministry. God's doing great things. So guess what? I, I want to be separate. I want to be different. He says, set yourselves apart to be holy from the Lord or your God. Now, don't get me wrong and say, he's saying that based on things you do, that makes you holy. No, 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 no. God is, he's the only one that's holy. I can't do anything that's holy. I can fast for the next 47 days and I, it doesn't like I've earned holiness. No, 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 no. I don't earn that. It's just my response as a human being to God's grace, to God's holiness, where I'm saying, as I get closer to him, I see and feel his holiness. And so I want my life to begin to reflect that so I can reflect him. And so Leviticus, Leviticus 20 and 23, he says, do not live according to the customs of the people I'm driving out before you. He says, don't live like the customs of everyone else around you. I'm driving, it's because they do these shameful things that I detest them. But I've promised you, you will possess their land because I will give it to you as your possession. A land flowing with milk and honey, I'm the Lord your God who set you apart from other people. Do you see, there is a, if you read the, I could, I could take the next hour and a half just looking at passages like this. The Bible is jam-packed, Old and New Testament, where he keeps looking at his people going, no, 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 I've separated you. You're sanctified. You're set apart. I want you to be different. You're holy. I've set you apart as holy. I want you to respond. Sanctify yourselves. It's all through the Bible. When God gives Moses the law to guide his people, one of the things he begins emphasizing over and over is there's a separation between light and darkness. God wanted his people distinct and different. He wanted them to worship different, eat different, dress different, marry and raise families differently. Everything they did was different than the people around them. That still has not changed. Here we are in the 21st century, and God still is telling you, Maybe the one argument is we don't really have to eat different. But when he talks about dressing different, worship different, marry and raise families different, absolutely, his way was always countercultural. In other words, it doesn't matter if it was Genesis, if it was Nehemiah, Daniel, Matthew, Luke, Romans, Re Revelation, God's people were always separate. So everything that they were living and believing was always countercultural. So now we get to 2021, we say, man, but I just feel like the world's going an opposite direction as we are. If you're going the same direction as the world, that's a huge problem. Because, he said, I've always made you different, separated, sanctified, set apart. God even called for distinction between genders in apparel. Genesis, or I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 22, 5, he says, a woman must not put on men's clothing. And a man must not wear women's clothing. Anyone who does this is detestable in the sight of the Lord your God. Does that mean that God hates certain fabrics? Or he doesn't want you shopping at JCPenney's or Kohl's or Dress Barn? Or, no, I think they changed their name, didn't they? Something different. That's kind of good because if I was a lady, I wouldn't want to shop at a place called a barn. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that's probably good marketing on their part. And so he, he's naming, he, he's, not, he's not saying, I hate this, I hate that, I hate that, that, that article. But what was he doing here? God's purpose for this passage and others is there is always a distinction and separation. He says, man, don't, 
be wearing women's clothes. Women, you don't be wearing men's clothes. There should be a separation, a distinction. Why? Because it's always been that way. I separated light from dark and the ocean from the land and the animals and man and woman. And so don't try to blur what I've said to be separate. And so he started in creation by separating these things. But then even in the church, God wants a separation of genders. He distinctly made a man a man and a woman a woman. That's why we look different. We have different body parts. Isn't it interesting that we finally reached the point of human history where there's now a war of the distinction of gender? This started a few years ago. I was doing pre-marriage counseling with somebody. And I said something about, yeah, you know, and men and women, obviously God created us different. And I just was like, not even, it wasn't even the point of my statement. And the woman stopped me and said, hold it. What do you mean by that? And I was like, well, I'm like, how much, how, where do I want to go with this? I'm like, well, the man, he's different than the woman. Emotionally sometimes and definitely physically. I just don't agree with that. I think that we're the same. And I'm like, ah. But now we see what's happening. Gender, people are saying gender is fluid. The irony is it's the same people who say they love science. Let the children choose their gender. Or be transgender. Now, folks, bring everybody that you know to the house of the Lord. I don't care if they say, oh, I was a man. I want to be, I want to identify as a woman. Like, I don't, man, I want everybody worshiping here. This is not saying uh, uh, beat over anybody over the head. I want every walk of life in the house of God. But I'm still going to just say what the scripture says. And in this mindset, God, I, this was never the way God established his world to be. There was always a separation, a distinction. And I can honestly say that when I started in ministry, I preached my first message at 17. I never thought I would sit in church on a Wednesday night and say, hey, guys, genders are meant to be distinct. I, I just never would have thought that. But the, 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 the ironic part is, where am I gonna, what am I going to be preaching about in 15 years? Guess what I'm going to be preaching? Still the exact same thing that I'm preaching now. I just might have to do it from prison. The devil's wise. Devil's wise. Scripture says he's cunning. The devil used, and we can see this, study it sometime, entertainment to lull the church to sleep as we laughed at sitcoms that blurred the lines of genders. The fashion industry has blurred the lines between genders as men and women's apparel. It's no longer distinct, but instead, it's very similar. And now we've gotten to the point where people are actually on the street. I was talking to Brother Keen, who preached here last Sunday, last Wednesday. And he actually had somebody in Colombia drive up, roll their window down, and say, What pronoun are you? This is, this is actually happening in society. 
And so choose what you like, but I choose God's way. And, and, and he made it very clear in the first chapter of the Bible that there is a distinction. There's a separation in darkness and light in all of the things he created. And then he says, and then in the New Testament, as my church, I'm calling you to come out from among them and be separate. Men and women, you're going to get married, male and female. There's a distinction there. This is God's plan. And he's called us as his people to be a light that overtakes darkness. Now, it's pretty impossible to hope to change someone or to have an influence in their life when you look, talk, act, dress exactly like them. So if they get out mad and they punch holes in walls, we punch holes in walls. They cuss and swear, we cuss and swear. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, at some point you're going, and then you get done, you're like, yeah, man. But will you come to church with me? Like, why? What do, what, what do you have that I don't have? You see what I'm saying? That's why I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I want them to see that in my mannerisms, when I get angry, when things don't go my way, in my marriage, in my parenting. I want them to see that all the time. I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. But why do we do this? Because God told us in 1 Peter 2, 9. He says that you should show forth the praises. Showing forth the praises is not just apparel. Certainly, the way we dress is something that God gives us instruction on. But it's what I just said. Love, joy, peace, patience. That I should show people the love of Christ by the way I love. By the way I'm patient. By the joy I have. I mean... Half the time you see believers are like, how, how are you doing? Oh, I've been better. And then, you know, their life stinks. Like Eeyore. Eeyore. I'm just not doing good today. But we're having a special service on Saturdays and you should come. Great. Where do I sign up? Because I want what you have. See what I'm saying? I want to show forth the praise of him who called me out. Meaning, I'm not embarrassed of the fact that I'm separate. My goal in reaching people and making disciples is not to blend in with them. Maybe to find common ground. If someone's wearing, you know, a chief shirt, I can talk chief's football. You know, I'm going to, but I don't need to be and live and look exactly like someone. No, he says, to show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness. There's a separation there. There's a distinction there. But there's still an influence that I should have in someone who's living in darkness. The Jews are an excellent example of a people, and I need to wrap up. I'm talking too long. But Jews are an ex- imagine, imagine if I was able to walk. It'd be even longer. The Jews are, see, is, I'm forced to stay with my notes. The Jews are an excellent example of a people that have remained separate to God, for God. They're the only ancient race of people to survive without a unique identity, culture, and religion, even though they were without a homeland for about 1,900 years. It's pretty crazy. We have to remember, they were destroyed, dispersed to the four corners of the earth in 70 AD. And they did not again become a nation officially until May 15th, 1948. 70 AD to 1948, making it the only nation in human history to be born again which is God's plan for his people. 
But the reason they were able to maintain their identity, culture, religion is because God gave them commandments and regulations that kept them when he gave them even the law of Moses. Just like this, the only way that the church today will survive the onslaught of darkness, the only way, hear me, is not to build bigger buildings, even though we're hoping to do that, but that's not the answer. Not to get better lights, not to throw smoke in, to get better speakers, to be none of that. The only thing that will have make sure the church survives the onslaught of darkness is to maintain a separation and distinction from the world. It's the only way. And I have a lot of friends who have walked away from that part. I want to keep loving God. I still want to believe in the spirit. I still want to believe in worship. But I don't believe that we necessarily have to be separate or distinct. And then they allow people in the leadership who don't believe that. And what happens is it changes the whole church. And the church has now lost something so crucial. That is the maintenance of the separation or distinction. Of what God created way back in Genesis chapter 1. Some today in Christianity want us to believe that separation and distinction. It's no longer a relevant message. The doctrine of separation is still to be taught and experienced. And I would argue to any person. This church, as long as I'm blessed to pastor, we will always live, believe, separation and distinction, and no one will serve in leadership that doesn't believe that. Because it's a creation principle since the very day, first day of creation. Why? Matthew 5.16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And because they see your good works... They wouldn't need to see it if they had it themselves. Somebody might be living in darkness. I'm not saying that with an arrogant attitude. I'm saying God's blessed us. We're filled with the spirit. God's changed our lives. Reflect that to someone. And when they see that, people are drawn to light. And so if someone's living in darkness, you're reflecting the light to them. And now they can begin to glorify your father, glorify God. Whoa, based on what they see in you. That is why we exist right now. Oh, it's so dark out there. We need to go be a light. But I'm not going to change the world by trying to be just like them. That goes against everything that he established in Genesis 1. He says, be distinct, be different, be separate. The way we overtake darkness is to be willing to be distinct, separate, and different. I'm just wondering if we could begin to find a place to pray. If that's up here, come up here. If that's in your in your in your altar, in your pew, then pray there. But right now, I think there's some consecration. Maybe you say, I don't have any issue with this. Then just again renew that commitment. God, I refuse to live anything different but separated and sanctified and set apart unto you. Maybe you're here and you haven't fully committed to that, either in lifestyle or dress or personal choices or whatever. Maybe God is just speaking something to where you are saying, and maybe it's time for me to consecrate myself unto him. That there are some changes I want to make where I can begin to reflect the image of Jesus Christ in every facet of my entire life. 
God, I pray, Lord, as we close this service out, as we begin to find a place to pray, God, help us. The, the pull of society, the opinion of culture, it's so loud sometimes that it can be intimidating. God, help us to never lose our distinction, to never lose the separation and the holiness and the consecration that comes and flows from the inside to the outside, that we can show forth your praise of you who have called us out of darkness into this beautiful and marvelous light. God, we don't think we're anything special, but we know we're only special because it's you, because your spirit, because you've called us and we responded, Jesus. And God, continue to work in us, Lord Jesus. That we continue to grow and continue to deal with us, Lord, about, about the things in our lives that you want to change, God. Help us, I pray. Jesus, in your name.